Hello, Canucks fans. Welcome in to episode 132, season four, episode 13 of the Canucks Speak Easy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, quick little three-game flight. Let's get right into it. <sighs> the Canucks headed out east to play the Winnipeg Jets and came away with a 4-2 loss. They gave up three goals in the second period, and the Jets pulled away in the third with an extra goal. Andrew Kuzmenko had a goal and an assist, a lone bright spot for the Canucks in that game. Hockey night in Canada wasn't too kind to the Canucks, despite a pretty solid effort from Spencer Martin. The Canucks allowed all three Calgary goals in the second period to fall 3-2 at the Saddle Dome. Sheldon Dries and Petey with the goals for Vancouver. The Canucks then hosted the New York Islanders and came away with a 6-2 loss. Again, the Canucks gave up three goals in the second and three more goals in the third. Bo Horvat, the lone bright spot in this game with two goals. Yeah, that was a tough game flight, man. It's always tough when uh, we swing and miss there. It kind of reminds me of the first couple episodes of Games of the Season. Yeah, it was uh, a tough three games. I, I know we recorded exactly a week ago, um, but it, for some reason, I don't know, it felt like more the Canucks played more games than just three this last week. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because these three games were so bad, it, or at least, you know, the results weren't great. It, it felt like it was worse or more than it actually was. I don't know. I think it's just everything's piling up. I mean, four of the last five home games, the Canucks have allowed five or more goals. The Islanders broke that streak last night by popping a sixth one there. But uh, I think everything's just just piling up. The, the level of frustration around this team with the fans. I know Donnie and Dolly today are asking if the fans are apathetic. And I think there's certainly a level of that with the team right now and, and the fans. Well, the Canucks host... Colorado Avalanche on Thursday and obviously we have tickets at work and I uh, I posted or I, I listed seven tickets online and yeah they're priced at 45 bucks a ticket and nobody's interested and I know Colorado has a bunch of injuries at the moment I, McKinnon's still out uh, I believe Rantanen is out or he at least he was he could be back now so it's not like the full you know team of the avalanche coming but still there's just very little interest at the moment uh it's it's tough it's funny because i mean you've seen a lot of things as well that the attendance numbers are good for vancouver but uh, i i'm certainly curious to see how many are actually butts and seats and as opposed to sold tickets you know i think there's a lot of people with season tickets who are maybe trying to pawn them off and uh i mean it, normally when the stanley cup champs come to town that's a big deal uh whether they have star players or not in the lineup but it's gonna man this is a tough stretch of games we called it and uh so far i mean that's uh that's three losses in a row now for vancouver and it's not getting any easier with colorado winnipeg pittsburgh tampa florida carolina tampa colorado and edmonton coming down that's a that's a gauntlet they play winnipeg again that's crazy i feel they played winnipeg what three times in less than a month here that's a really short window yeah. to play the same team three times there's some weird scheduling uh, this year, as there always seems to be. Like, the Canucks don't play Calgary again until March 31st, and then they play them again on April 8th. Uh, it's There's just some 
a lot of weird stuff in like these little one game road trips to San Jose. It's a weird schedule this year. Yeah, and there's no excuse. It's not like we have the Olympics or like a World Cup of Hockey or anything like that. Uh, I don't know who the schedule makers are in the NHL, but man, they they really got to start doing the Canucks a favor once in a while. These one game road trips, like you said, down south to one night in San Jose. I think they've had two of them this year so far, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, that's what I just said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just, I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's a. There's some weird stuff. I think the the culprit is a computer out there named Deltron or something like that. Um, Doug, we got a lot of Canucks stuff coming up. That's just kind of a little precursor ramble. Um, how's things? How's your week been? Yeah, pretty good. Like, obviously, uh, we just had New Year's. Pretty quiet New Year's for me. I think I was in bed by like 1030. Getting old, man. I'm just, you know, not a big thing for me anymore. I had a couple of whiskeys earlier in the night. Um, and then, yeah, I just... I was just tired. I was just like, man, I've had a long work week leading up to today and hit the sack early. What about yourself, Pete? Uh, did you do anything for New Year's? Not really. I watched uh, the Canucks that night, and then I got a little restless, so I just went down to my local, had a couple beers, a uh, bunch of the regulars were in, so we just kind of shot the shit and had some champagne at midnight and then went home. It was pretty low-key, but uh, it was it was kind of nice uh, overall. Do you do, uh, do you do New Year's resolutions? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I guess one New <laughs> yeah. Year's resolution I should have and I should actually try is like to lose some weight. But uh, I, I don't. What about you? It sounds like you're teen something up that you've got a New Year's resolution for yourself. No, no. I was, uh, it just, it just, I had two people ask me that today. And so it's kind of on my, my brain. But I will say, I mean, I'm not really trying to do like a New Year's resolution, but I'm I'm trying to improve a couple things that I do, like, uh, I, like I, I guess, you know, reading more is a big thing, right? Like, uh, um, I finally had the willpower to pick, pick up uh, the Anthony Bourdain book. I stopped reading when he died. And I finally st- had the willpower to pick it up and start reading it uh, again. And I'm glad I did. It's But uh, it needed some time. And I'm like, all right, hopefully this will kind of get me going a bit. So, yeah, maybe that, you know, just uh, I worked a lot on physical stuff this past year. I'm to work on the brain a little bit more, I think. Yeah, reading is, obviously it's super important, but I, I've i always kind of been like that as well. And it sounds like you're kind of saying a similar thing. It's like, when I start reading, I'm really reading and I'm like going through books like pretty quickly. You know, I'll read, you know, four or five books in like a couple of months. And then all of a sudden I just hit a wall and I just stop picking up books and I stop reading and then that, you know, might go for a year or two, you know, before I actually kind of get into it again. But when I am really into it, yeah, I can crush like three or four or five books in like a couple of months, which to some people might be like, whoa, dude, three books in a couple months, big deal. But I don't know, for someone who's a, a very casual reader, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a big deal. To be fair, when Doug says books, they're usually Archie's. And uh, but I will give you credit; it's it's a double digest, so you know I understand. It takes a little while, to, but uh, I get where you're coming from. Hey, man, I, I'm also a big fan of the Farmer's Almanac. I don't even know if they, uh, they print those <laughs> anymore, but uh, the Farmer's Almanac as well. Uh, really good toilet reading. Yeah, true. I think they still do. Um, Doug, a couple of things in the world of sports uh, we're going to do at the start this time uh, before we really get into all our Canucks stuff. Uh, Scary incident on Monday Night Football. So we wanted to kind of just start there with Damar Hanlon. Um, I got home right when that hit happened. I turned the game on. And they showed the replay a couple times, and it, it didn't look like much, right? Like, it, it, but 
uh, you realized right away that something was very different from the way the players were reacting. Yeah, like for me, I was kind of bouncing back and forth between uh, the Canada World Junior game and the Monday Night Football game. And I was on Twitter and then I saw people talking about what was going on in the Monday Night Football game. So I actually jumped back to that. Um, And like you said, you see much seemingly harder impact hits and more ferocious hits than what happened there. I think the other thing that kind of really threw a lot of people for a loop was the fact that after the hit, he stood back up and then all of a sudden he collapsed. Later, we learned that he had a cardiac episode. um, And, you know, anytime a player is have someone, you know, you're having to perform CPR on a player in the middle of the field while all the fans and teammates and coaches and training staff are watching like it's, it's a it's a pretty horrific sight, and you could see that from the emotion on a lot of the players' faces. Thoughts are with Demar and his family and the Bills. I mean, I wonder what's going to happen with that game if they're going to finish it. Um, I know uh, on a very low level with it all, there's people whose fantasy football playoffs are all in disarray with it as well. Not that that's important, but it's weird. I've never seen really anything where a league doesn't finish a game like they always seem to go back and finish it in some level like I know in hockey when they've had to cancel games at certain points whether it's a power outage or someone collapsing they start the game you know at the 17 12 mark of the second or whenever the thing happened and and finish it and I wonder because of where we are in the season and the Buffalo players have gone home I wonder if we're actually going to finish that game, uh, it's, it's just something that is, is a very unusual situation. What I do love is all the teams changed their profile pics on Twitter to uh, uh, pray for DeMar and with the big number three. And I always like weird kind of number stuff. And the fact that uh, Tage Thompson last night had three goals for his third hat trick of the season, including the winner at three minutes of overtime and DeMar Hamlin wore number three. Uh, another Buffalo player. I thought that was kind of interesting as well. It reminded me of when the Sedins scored in their last game uh, as as well in in overtime. It was kind of like the numbers all lined up for that as well. Yeah, you know, it's obviously it was a really scary and horrific scenario. And kudos to all the broadcast team at ESPN. I mean, Ryan Clark, I mean, some of the stuff he was saying was, you know, very, very thoughtful and impactful and it was you know a lot of those people they were just playing it off the cuff right they didn't know how to react to such a uh, a serious situation and I thought a lot of those commentators did an amazing job um and you could just see how it really kind of humanizes a lot of the players you know Joe Burrow going over to Josh Allen and making sure he was okay because he was really shook and you know, these guys, they're, you know, athletes, professional athletes, they're modern day gladiators. And I think we often take for granted the amount of risk that they actually put their bodies on game in and game out. And, you know, this was a very scary episode. It looks like, and again, you know, he's still in critical condition, but it looks like things are turning for the better. And I also just want to say, you know, the like you said, Pete, the amount of outpouring support. Uh, he had uh, a GoFundMe for his toy drive, 
which I believe is now up over $5 million. His goal initially was $2,500, and I believe it's up over $5 million, which is great. You know, and I'm not a really big religious person, but, you know, definitely thoughts and prayers for Damar. I, you know, I hope he recovers quickly. Um, you know, right now his health is the most important thing. And I think most people, you know, T Higgins was the player that was, you know, in contact with him, on, you know, with the situation on the field there. And apparently there was reports. And again, I don't know if they're true that he hasn't left the hospital. He wants to stay until he wakes up. I don't know if those reports are true or if it's just someone trolling on the internet, but, uh, yeah, man, I think the entire world, not just, you know, the sports world, but the entire world stopped for a moment. And, you know, they're, they're praying and hoping that DeMar Hamlin recovers sooner than later. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and the other thing we wanted to touch on before we get into all our Canucks stuff, world juniors. Um, we haven't talked a lot about it. Um, generally, you know, with, the way I feel, at least, is the round robin. It's kind of, you know, you kind of know that Canada's getting through. You're like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Canada got quite the test against Slovakia. Connor Bedard with the goal that is now probably, you know, you had that Jordan Eberle goal for the longest time. This is now probably the goal that it's going to become the, it now takes over the throne of the most well-known goal in Canadian junior history. Canada handled the U.S. today. They're going to the finals against the Czechs, and the Czechs have not won junior gold since they won back-to-backs in 2000 and 2001. The only connection, the 2001 team, Radim Verbata. Otherwise, there's a lot of names on these teams that don't really jump out at you. You know, Pavel Brendel is on there, Martin Erat, Thomas Plakanich. Uh, but there's not a lot of other guys out there uh, from those teams that won back-to-backs. A lot of guys stayed and played in Europe. Um, so the Czechs, though, for me, they, they've had a fantastic tournament. This is going to be a, a really good final, I think. Um, but Connor Bedard and Canada playing the Czechs. Doug, do you have any thoughts with that? Uh, I mean, Connor Bedard looks like the real deal, first and foremost. Um, the thing about the Jordan Eberle goal, just going back to that really quickly, Pete, Yes, it was a great goal, but I think what made that goal so special and so memorable is I believe he scored it with like, what, three seconds left in the game or something like that. And that's kind of why, you know, it wasn't necessarily the most beautiful goal, but it was, you know, the amount of time left in that game for him to have scored that goal to win it for Canada, I believe is why that goal is so memorable to so many people. But Bedard is just like, Canada, in my opinion, today against the U.S., it was there was a little bit of controversy. There were two disallowed goals for goalie interference. I know a lot of American fans on Twitter were calling BS, you know, on the first disallowed goal. I think the second one I think was pretty clear goalie interference. This the first one I could see why some people were a little bit muffed about that call. But overall, Canada hasn't really played that great outside of Connor Bedard, who, in my opinion, has really carried this team. I mean, that Slovakia game especially, he was leaps and bounds, not only the best player on the ice, but, you know, Canada's only consistent driver of offense. Uh, Simone Nemec, second overall pick by the New Jersey Devils this past year, I thought he played a really good game as well for Slovakia, defenseman, right shot defenseman. Um, But 
Bedard has been amazing. Czechia obviously beat Canada in the first game of the tournament for Canada in the round robin. So it's kind of a revenge rematch game. Czechia, I thought, has been the best team in the tournament so far. And then I, you know, I think we'd be a little bit remiss to not mention uh, Sweden. Obviously, two Canuck uh, prospects played for Sweden this year. Uh, Elias Pettersson 2.0 and Jonathan Lekaramaki, who saw very limited ice time in this elimination game. I believe he had just over four minutes of ice time. He was slotted as the 13th forward for Sweden. Um, you know, and it was a high-scoring game as well. It was a, a, a 9-6, I think it was the final or something like that. It was a very high-scoring game between uh, Czechia and Sweden, and Lekaramaki barely got to see the ice. So it's still young in his development. I'm not hitting the panic button just yet, but... Definitely not the showing I think Canuck fans were hoping to see from Lekaramaki. Um, I don't know where you got 9-6 from, man. It was 2-1. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I don't know where I got that from either. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking of the Latvia games or something. I don't know what the scores were yeah. for, for for that. But I, I, I will say Lekaramaki, disappointing tournament. Um, it's it, it sucks because everything right now sucks with the Canucks. Uh Pedersen, I thought, was pretty good. I don't think he was great against uh, the Czechs, though, from what I saw. Now, admittedly, I haven't seen all of the game, so a lot of the what I'm getting was uh, just from highlights and whatnot that I caught. Uh, but overall, you know, it, it does kind of suck when the two Canucks prospects, one of them's value seems to go down as the tournament goes on. The other one was, I'd say he comes out of it about the same as where he was with uh, with Elias Pedersen. Uh, Connor Bedard, 100% the real deal. The tank is on. I mean, Chicago's won two of their last 23. They're really, really going for it. Another thing I noticed about Chicago, this is uh, you know kind of off topic, but every one of Chicago's top nine highest paid forwards, and that's you know not like super paid in some cases, but they're, all of them are UFAs either this year or next year. So they are going to be sell, sell, sell. They're going to get worse, worse, worse. They're really going for Bedard, but he is that good. I think, you know, I got to see him play back when he was out in Langley. He was great. Uh, he wasn't amazing that night, but he was still the best player on the night uh, on the ice that night. And he wasn't even trying, or I shouldn't say he wasn't even trying. He, it wasn't top level Bedard. What we've seen in this tournament is is next level, shattering records. Uh, I mean, imagine if he came back and played more because I think Lindros still has like four or five more games than what he has as well. Um, it's it's incredible. So uh, big fan of Connor Bedard. Uh, I think Canada Czech game. I think that's going to be great. Canada took a while to get going in this tournament. I think they found their legs because the U.S. always seems to get them to find their legs. And normally that's a New Year's Eve game as well. And this year they didn't get that because they're in different groups. And I think maybe it just took the team a little while to get up, which is an unfortunate sign. And it's something about this tournament that does kind of bother me is how some teams just like, oh, okay, just kind of get through the round robin, whatever. And the tournament really doesn't get interesting until you get to these elimination games. But I'm excited for this gold medal game. I'll be watching that. Yeah. Uh, gold medal game is Friday or Saturday? Uh, I don't even know what day today is. What's today? Wednesday. Wednesday? I think it's tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, oh, I really? Know. I think it's tomorrow. Okay. Well, great. Yeah, That's I think awesome. the tournament ends on the 5th. But I uh, don't quote me on that, people. I'll, I'll look it up after this. But I had it in my head that it was tomorrow. Um, but 
I I could be wrong. I uh, I'm wrong a lot of the time, so I will find out after the episode if I'm wrong. I I think it's it's if it's not tomorrow, it'll be Friday though. There's no way it'll be Saturday. They're they're done by they're done by then. It's usually it's a pretty tight tournament. Um, Doug, a couple things coming up this episode. Uh, we've got Brendan uh, Jabberin with Jabo. We got a, a good segment with him coming up, where we're which is going to focus more on the Abbotsford Canucks. Um, no Dan for the next while. Dan is taking a break, as I'm sure a lot of people out there know. Uh, we miss you, Dan. And uh, uh, for now, Dan is taking a breather. And uh, that's about all we have to say about that at the moment. But much love to you, buddy. And uh, we'll see you soon. Um, also, we're still on Twitter and you can follow us. I'm at Pete underscore gas. The podcast is at Canucks Speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And check out the playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Another funky jams getting added to the playlist at the end of this episode. Doug, you edited the last episode and you chose a classic. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, I chose a song that has been sampled countless times in hip hop. Um, KRS-One sampled it, uh, one of my all-time favorite MCs. Um, Onyx sampled it as well, which again... A bit of a niche hip-hop group from the 90s and 80s, but I, I always liked Onyx. Uh, but the song is called The Champ by the Mohawks. And yeah, it's just one of those songs that, for whatever reason, and well, I mean, I understand the reason why, but it's just one of those songs that gets sampled over and over and over and over again by a lot of hip-hop producers and DJs. And one of the coolest things I think about this song for me is the way people have sampled it over the years. It's different. You know what I mean? It's actually slightly different every time they've sampled it, where I know uh, there's that one song uh, from uh, one of the hip-hop producers I like named Metaform called Crush, and it's got that really kind of like guitar lick sample. And I know, I think AIM actually, uh, who we used on the last um, outro track before this one, did the same sample. And it's the exact same sample, right? You can hear it's that same guitar lick, but... The Champ by the Mohawks and the amount of ways this song has been sampled and used is amazing. Two that jump out for me. Uh, the first one that always jumps out would probably be the first time I'd ever heard it used. Let Your Backbone Slide by Maestro Fresh Wes. That was a big one. And then Salt and Peppa also used it. Uh, they changed it from Champ to Tramp. And those are the two that always jump out for me um according to wikipedia over 700 songs have sampled it uh it's just one of those ones it's got everything it's got the the uh the little organ or whatever that is it's got the guitars it's got a great beat it just there's so many things that you can take out of it and uh uh even just looking at some of the lists you know like just it's incredible you see j5 mob deep dj shadow uh ice cube red man Fushnikins, uh, De La Soul, everybody uses it. Uh, Chief Rocka by Lords of the Underground. That's another good one uh, as well. Uh, Here Comes the Hot Stepper by Annie Camozzi. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff on there. It's a, it's an absolute classic. You know my love for samples. Uh, it's a great track. Yeah, and for a song that's only essentially two and a half minutes long, the, the fact that the song has actually got so much gold so to speak, in it and so many different ways you can sample it and you can utilize it. 
Uh, I mean, that list of, you know, songs and artists that have used it, that's the who's who of like hip hop artists. De La Soul, Salt and Peppa, you know, Ice Cube. You know, I already mentioned KRS-One. It just, yeah, it's it, it's an absolute classic. And yeah, I thought it had to get added to the playlist. Works for me, man. I like it. Hey, also, Doug, December has come and gone, which you know what that means. Uh, it is time for our three stars of the month for December. I think he'll be back for an encore yet tonight. Fans haven't left. They're still here. And still the three star selections to come. All right. I guess I'll get us started off here. Um, so my third star for the month of December, and again, it was not the best month for the Canucks. They played a total of 13 games. And my third star, and who essentially I'd put in the fourth spot, I kind of went back and forth, but I'm actually going to give it to Ilya Mikheyev this month. I thought he scored six goals in 13 games, total of nine points. I thought Mikheyev played very well. Obviously, he does a lot of the PK work as well for the Canucks. So Mikheyev is my third star of the month of December. Second star of the month. Um, again, you could put either one of these guys, one or two, but I'm going to go with Bo Horvat. Horvat's gold scored nine goals and seven assists in 13 games. Horvat's been on an absolute tear. He's closing in on 30 goals. I think he's got 28 on the year. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure. Um, but he's definitely closing in on 30 goals, which is very impressive. And then my first star of the month, no surprise, it's got to be Elias Pettersson. He only played 11 games. He obviously missed two games in the month of December, but he still had 17 points, led the team in points with six goals, 11 assists. Uh, Elias Pettersson is my number one star of the month. Right on, man. Well, your third star was who I was humming and hawing with. I ended up going with Kuzmenko. Uh, that was, I think, that was probably the other guy you were looking at as well. I'm, I'm gonna guess. Yeah. Um. It, yeah. Is I, I mean, it was it was tough, and I had to go kind of back and forth and back and forth. What eventually just kind of swayed me to go with Kuzmenko is he had the the best Corsi percentage on the team for the month uh, as well, which just kind of gave him that little nod up for me um i know mckayev was used in more special situations uh but for me i had to I had to go with kuz uh he was third on the team in scoring for the month as well with 11 points in 13 games and he was fourth on the team in goals for the month scoring four of them my number two and number one are uh strikingly similar to yours i went with Bo as well i did consider w whether Bo was my second or my first um just because you know nine goals in 13 games is is pretty impressive as well as taking all the face-offs and and just getting a, a ton of ice time he had more ice average ice time than any other forward on the team he actually had more than some defensemen on the team Per game as well but I still gave it to Bo 16 points in 13 games and then yeah PD number one again just the thing with PD is and you can say this about Bo maybe to a slightly less degree is you notice PD uh, you, you notice okay uh, let me rephrase it you notice PD and Bo pretty much every game but you seem to notice PD every shift he seems to be the one guy that's really out there driving play hitting he's starting to get some hits under his his belt as well now um which is nice to see uh, it's uh, it, it's it's finally starting to look like the guy that we've all 
envisioned is really the full package. You're hearing the name, the Canucks superstar. And for me, got to give it to, to my boy, Petey. So let's update the standings here, Doug, for the Barfly Golden Pint Award for the 22-23 season presented by the Canucks Speakeasy. Elias Pettersson is your leader right now. 17 points after three months of play. Bo Horvat is in second place with 12 points. Andre Kuzmenko, third place with four points. JT Miller is in fourth place with two points. And Ilya Mikheyev is now on the board with one point. All forwards on there. We still have not seen any defensemen or goalies yet. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of surprised. Obviously, goalies... I think Spencer Martin's been okay this year. Um, he's done as well as I think anyone would expect him to to have done, being thrust into the starting position with Thatcher Demko's injury. Hughes has been good, but he just hasn't been better than I think any of the forwards that we've had in front of him. And, you know, Hughes has still been very good, um, but yeah, he just hasn't really done it to that level where I would put him in the top three. I think all the forwards we've listed prior to this have deserved their position ahead of him so far. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, really, obviously, Hughes is, I think, the most notable name. I mean, Demko, if he wasn't hurt, but Hughes is certainly uh, to be three months in and not have Hughes in there. The thing with Hughes as well, he's on pace for a 77-point season, and uh, we still haven't been getting him in. This is the thing with the Canucks right now. You got Petey looking at over 100 points. You got... Bo Horvat looking at over 60 goals and you got Jay and uh, you got uh, Quinn Hughes looking at 77 points. You've got guys like Miller and, and Kuzmenko who are looking to get close to 70 and the team is still not good. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Again, I mean, this team has not had an issue scoring goals this year. It's, it's been their defensive play. It's been, you know, not having those costly turnovers. And to be fair, the power play has been good, but the power play has given up how many shorthanded goals this year? I want to say, what, five, uh, maybe six? six? Okay. I think it's six now, yeah. So I, they gave up a shorthanded goal last night, didn't they? Or was it last night? Or was it, maybe it was the game against Winnipeg, I believe, they gave up a shorthanded goal. And the PK hasn't been good either. And so scoring hasn't been the issue. It's just been their defensive game and keeping the puck out of their own net, unfortunately. It's been uh, it's been pretty rough, man. That that's for sure. Um, Doug, we got Brendan here to he's going to talk a little bit about the Abbotsford Canucks this week. So let's get into jabbering with Jabo. Just a bit outside. All right, so you know who I am by now, so I'm just going to skip that and get right to it, not waste your time. Um, I'm going to talk about development this week, and um, I've been keeping a, a close eye on what's been going on in Abbotsford um, the past little while, and, and I'm certainly seeing a lot of things that I like, not just for the short term, but for the long term as well. Um, New coach Jeremy Carlton has that team playing very well, uh, not just offensively, but more importantly, from a prospect development point of view, defensively. Um, and that's something that we haven't seen in the past. You know, the Canucks have really struggled 
in their development. And I think a big part of that reason is is that they weren't they weren't teaching defense and defensive structure down at the AHL level or didn't have a system in place that made that a simple process. And you know, and certainly the 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 system that Travis Green had the Canucks playing, which I'm assuming filtered down to the AHL level or usually it does. I mean, it was it was a dumpster fire. And we saw that here with the NHL team and, and, and with the Canucks and how bad they were defensively under Travis Green. And it's hard to develop players when you don't trust your system. And so you're watching Abbotsford, and there's a trust there in the way they're playing, and there's a trust there with each other, um, which is great to see. They're, they're keeping shots down. They're keeping chances down. And while Silovs has been very good... He's not being expected to steal games. You know, and, and that teaching of defensive responsibility, which I, I think is as important as anything. Most of these players, especially high-end prospects, we know what they are offensively. There's a reason why they were drafted where they were. There was, for a lot of guys, especially the high-end guys, there was obviously a lot of offensive upside there. So the importance then of... You know, you don't want to stunt that offensive, the, the offensive side that they have, but they need to know how to play defensively. It's what good teams do. It's what championship teams do. I mean, it's very difficult to, to build a team to win playing a very run-and-gun style. It almost never happens. You know, I mean, you look back in the past and, you know, and guys... And, that should have probably spent more time in the AHL or been sent straight to the AHL. Like you look at a guy for like Adam Gaudet, you know, very good offensively at at Northwest, at Northeastern, I should say, and got straight to the NHL rather than what should have happened. And and he, instead he went back and forth, back and forth between the NHL and the AHL, which was a mistake. I really truly believe that you know, the way you do it is that unless you're some sort of a generational talent, unless you're, a, a, you know, a McDavid or um, Austin Matthews, a guy who's clearly ready, you should spend time in the AHL. And I don't care whether that's a month, five months, a year, two years, whatever it takes for you to get comfortable. <clears throat> you know, you look at like a, like a guy like on the Canucks, like Quinn Hughes. It was Quinn Hughes ready to play at the NHL level straight out of the NCAA? Absolutely he was. Should he have been? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Because whatever he was playing in, in Michigan, I guarantee you it wasn't what they were going to be playing at the NHL in terms of a system. And the same thing's going to be happening now with whoever comes, you know, whoever the next crop of prospects, whether it's a Yoni Yermo or, or a McDonough coming out of Northeastern. And these guys would be going to the AHL no matter what anyways. But if even if they were good enough to play at the NHL level, they should absolutely be starting at the, at the AHL level to make sure that they are 100% ready to go, that they know the system that they're going to be playing. That's what good organizations do. There's a filter down of that system from the NHL level to the AHL level. There's a symmetry there. So you send your guys to the AHL level. You get them to learn the system that they're going to be playing. 
And under no circumstances do they come up until that they have shown for a consistent amount of time that they are capable of playing that system and playing well defensively. Because if you look at this Canucks team over the last few years, which guys have come here and shown a defensive acumen? None. Not one. And that is troubling. So now what we see is we see them, you know, this new regime, and they're going back a little bit. You know, guys like Hoglander and Pod Coles and Rathbone down there as well. You got Linus Carlson, Neil Zaman just went back down. And these are guys with upside. But but these are and these are guys that are probably going to be NHL players. At least most of them will be. Um, and it's important now to get these guys on the same page with the system, with how they're supposed to be playing defensively, and the understanding. And what we've been seeing in Abbotsford is that if you play well defensively, if you become very comfortable in where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, it will feed your offense. You will be better offensively because of that. I know for a lot of a lot of young players that's hard to tell them, hey, if you're better if you're better defensively, it's and you focus on that end, it's going to help you offensively. Some guy, I mean, it's hard to get that through, but it's important that you do get that through to them. And so you're sending Hoglander and, and Pod Colson, who were at the NHL level for, you know, the majority of, for Hoglander, the last couple of years, Pod Colson last year, and then the first part of this year. And you teach them defensive responsibility, structure, systems, the kind of system that I believe that this organization and this regime believes is going to get this group at the NHL level back onto the path to more success. Because that's the kind of structure that wasn't shown under Travis Green. And unfortunately, it's the kind of structure that isn't a part of what has made Bruce Boudreaux successful at the NHL level. He's not a structure coach. So the importance of having Jeremy Colton down there doing the job that they're that he's doing, and not only doing the job that he's doing, but having success doing it. They are having success right now. They're showing if you play well defensively, it's going to lead to victories. And that can only help as they move to the NHL level. They don't need to learn to play defensively at the NHL level. They've already learned. And now they can take that comfort level, get up to speed at that NHL level, and be better for it. Um, if you have time, I mean, I'll say this: if you have time, go out. I'm going to an I'm going to a game in Abbots for this Saturday. Um, it's really good hockey. You're getting to see some of the young players that will be part of this team for the future, uh, doing their thing. Um, hey, if you don't, you can't get out there. I mean, it costs like ten bucks for an AHL. Uh, TV subscription for one day to watch a game and to get an idea of what's going on because the systems that Colleton is running there are going to be at least very similar to the systems that the Canucks are going to be employing in the not so not so distant future. And you know the idea that if you can get the guys down in the AHL and the NHL playing with that good structure, in my opinion can only bode well for the future. So 
Thanks for listening to this week. I'll be back next week. Um, obviously, not a lot going well for the Canucks right now with the big uh, with the big club, but a lot going well um, in Abbotsford, and more most importantly for a lot of those guys that will be players for the Canucks in the future. See you next week. All right, thanks for that, Brendan. And you can follow him on Twitter at jbo underscore Vancouver if you're not already. One of the better follows out there in Canucks Twitter. Always keeps a level head about things. Is always fair to give praise and fair to give criticism with him. So some nice stuff from Brendan. Um, I, I got to admit, I haven't seen a full Abbotsford Canucks games. I've caught lots, lots of highlights and bits and pieces from Canucks Twitter and various blogs and stuff. Um, we got to get out there for a game at some point. Yeah, I still haven't made it out to Abbotsford to see the Abbotsford Canucks play. I mean, Brendan said it was a 10 bucks a ticket. Definitely need to make the trek out there. I don't know if, you know, we split an Evo. <laughs> Pete and you know get an Evo back or something like that but uh we should definitely do that well if it's an Evo then uh I can't drink so maybe we'll we'll, we'll figure something out maybe we'll have a long public transit adventure um look I know that uh Brendan's been talking about structure and defensive structure and we're we're gonna lead this into the big club but let's kind of start with uh what he's talking about with with Abbotsford um this is something that good teams do. I mean, again, you go back to Rutherford and his time in Pittsburgh, both Jake Gensel and Brian Rust, who came out of NCAA, they went straight to Wilkes-Barre. They did not come up to the big club. They went to Wilkes-Barre and they played there for a bit. The Canucks have always been somewhat reluctant to do that. I mean, I know he mentioned Adam Gaudet, but most of our guys skip the NCAA and or sorry, skip the AHL when they come out of NCAA. I mean, Quinn Hughes, okay, he may be an example of, of someone who didn't. Bo Besser, Bro, Bo Besser, Brock Besser at the time, we thought was good enough to do it. Troy Stetcher skipped as well. Um, there, there's been a, a long list of guys like, of course, Hoglander and Pod Colson who are back down there now uh, of skipping. And I think it is really important for them to learn in a system, learn the game, wait till they're 100% ready before getting called up. Um, and that's why I know I've said it before on this podcast. I have no problem with Pods, ho- Hogs, Rathbone, all these guys spending the rest of the season down in Abbotsford and keeping them away from whatever the heck is going on with this team. Yeah, and even Gaudet, like he was down, then he got called back up, then he was sent down again, then he was called back up again. It's like, you got to get these guys to find their legs. The AHL is not an easy league to play in. And it's probably the best league outside of the NHL to actually prepare you for playing games in the NHL, if that makes sense. You know, is it the second best league in the world? No, I'm not saying that. But I think it's the league that best prepares you to be able to play the NHL style of game. Um, I think it's actually very telling that we've seen Pod Coles and Rathbone and Nils Hoglander and now Nils Amon all sent down to the AHL. And I truly believe unless there's an abundance of injuries or they just start selling the farm to try and tank for Bedard and they need to plug holes at their forward group, I think you see Pod Coles and Hoglander, Rathbone, stayed down in the AHL for the re- remainder of the season. Unless, you know, Pod Colson goes on a bit of a hot streak or Hoglander goes on a bit of a hot streak and they decide to call him up. Right now, I know we talked about during the game flight, three losses, very disappointing. 
But in my personal opinion, you know who I think was the most noticeable player for the Canucks in those last three games? Will Lockwood. In a good way or a bad way? In a good way. Will Lockwood, yeah. In a good way. And it was Will Lockwood. And Lockwood's played the better part of, what, two and a half years maybe even three years in the AHL. And again, I don't know if he's an everyday NHLer at this point. I'm not saying that. But Will Lockwood, since he's been called up, has, to me, been one of the most noticeable, in a positive way, Canucks. And I think Hoglander, Podkolzin, Rathbone, and Nils Amon. And Rathbone, to be fair, did spend the majority of the time last year in the AHL, and he produced at a very high clip, especially for a defenseman. But to actually give them, you know, that time to properly develop. You brought it up. Rutherford and Elvin did the same thing with Rust and Gensel in Pittsburgh. And I think it'll be for the betterment of these prospects moving forward, just like what Brennan said. And I also think this is also potentially, and maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it. Is this another indictment on Boudreaux from this management group where they feel like these players aren't getting the proper defensive structure and knowledge with the big club and they need to send them down to the AHL to work with Jeremy Culleton to kind of learn those proper habits. I think if nothing else, this is uh, this is something that is very apparent, I think, from this management group is I, I think they do think that. I think they're like, look, the way we got to protect our prospects, we don't have a deep pool. We got to let these guys get the proper systems. Will Lockwood has played 94 AHL games in 18 NHL games, and he got his first point in the in this last call-up. He's played three games. He's got his first point in the NHL. Um, I think, I mean... It's really tough to tell what this team is is doing and what's going to happen, but I do think it's part of sheltering these guys away, getting them to develop, getting them to learn a lot more about the game, getting to play a 200-foot game, keeping them away. And we've already seen other guys get called up instead of Pod Colson and Hoglander up front, right? I mean, Lane Peterson and Will Lockwood were both called up, and you got to think that it's more likely that Niels Oman will get called up. But, I mean, who's to say they don't try someone else and bring uh, in someone else uh, once? Uh, and you also have Tanner Pearson coming back, so there's going to be a bit more of a logjam. Um, I like what I've been seeing and reading. I know a friend of the show, Chris Faber, has also been talking a lot of about Abbotsford and some of the positive things he's been seeing down there. If nothing else... This is a good thing, is getting guys down there and creating a development system. This is great. I do also wonder if Jeremy Colleton is maybe the future coach of the Canucks. I mean, I I don't see any way that Bruce Boudreaux is back after this year. But again, I also don't think that there's any reason to fire Bruce Boudreaux right now. I don't think you do it. I think you keep Boudreaux. Look, I'm pretty much now, the season's almost halfway over. I'm pretty much in team tank. Now, I, I can't cheer against the team. I, I always want the Canucks to win, but I'm taking some consolation. and like, oh, hey, well, at least if we lost, we're, we're going to get a higher draft pick. There's no reason to bring in a new coach and try and turn it around. You're, you're not going to get into the playoffs right now. The odds are already starting to get more and more stacked against you. I don't know what Vegas has the odds for the Canucks to make the playoffs at, but I'm sure it's in single digits. You keep Boudreaux. Sell off what you can. Call up some of the guys, not necessarily the guys that we've all mentioned until maybe you absolutely have to. And this is a step in kind of maybe starting whatever these guys are wanting to do with this team because we still, we're 13 months in now, and we still haven't really seen any major shakeups and changes to the lineup. No, and I think a lot of us are still waiting for that to happen. And 
you know, the more goals Bo Horvat seems to score this year, the higher and higher his price tag is getting and the more likely he's not going to be re-signed. And I don't think this team is going to allow what happened in Calgary with Johnny Goudreau and, you know, or even last year what happened with JT Miller. I think if they can't get a deal done in the next three, four weeks here, I I think Horvat is definitely uh, on his way out. The other thing I did want to bring up with Jeremy Colleton, because, you know, he was a high, re- highly regarded coach. Uh, he was coaching for the Chicago Blackhawks, but obviously that team was very, very bad and essentially cost him his job. But I think he's a very good young coach. But the other guy that I think is really worth mentioning here is Daniil Klimovich, who a lot of people had absolutely given up on. Daniil Klimovich, I believe, has got like 13 points in his last 15 games. He's on an absolute roll. And I do wonder if there's any correlation with the fact that Pod Colson is down there now. You know, a familiar face, a guy who speaks the same language. I believe they are friends off the ice as well. And you're just seeing him develop and have way more confidence uh, with the puck and away from the puck as well. Because that's kind of always been Klimovich's biggest issue is his play away from the puck. But he just seems to be playing a much smarter, a much slower game, but slower in a good way. And I do wonder if Pod Colson being down there has had a bit of a hand on that. I think it's a good point. And I mean, it keeps the two Russians up with the big club and two Russian speakers down with Abbotsford. Look, we're up to 88 games all of a sudden that Klimovich has played in the AHL. 88 already, which is kind of surprising. Last year at 18 points in 62 games was a minus eight. This year he's already got 15 points in 26 games and is a plus eight. So statistically, there's definitely some improvement. The knock I always had in Klimovich was his skating. But overall, I think that's that's a good point about having Pod Colson down there too, and the the positive effect that he can have on Danila Klimovich. I think uh, anything that can make this younger kind of core of pieces a supporting cast, if you will, start to create that and learn the systems. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and another thing that Brendan brought up that I do think is worth mentioning, and I I don't know if teams do this enough, and clearly it's not what's happening with the big club and with Abbotsford is. You know, and I think it's a good point that Brennan's making is like essentially you would almost want like the same structure and game plan that your AHL team plays to be played by the NHL team. So then when you do make the jump jump from the AHL to the NHL, you know, you're playing a, a similar structure offensively and defensively. And I don't think that's the case whatsoever. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised more teams don't have that kind of like instilled in their systems. I, I know, you know, you want the coach to coach. And if that's not their style of coaching, I get it. But you you would think you'd want similar structures. So it's not like a big difference between going from the AHL to the NHL. And I agree with you, Pete. I don't think there's any point in pulling the trigger on Boudreaux now or any time before the end of the season. And it is looking more and more likely that Jeremy Culleton will probably become the next head coach of, the, of this team, unless they want to go and make a big splash and sign a big name, like, I don't know, Mike Babcock, which I absolutely hope they don't. No. I, I just, I, I think this team lately, I mean, not that Travis Green was a big name coach, but he was a guy that developed within their system. Um, but they've kind of chased big name coaches in the past, and I just don't think that's, a good trend for this team. I think they need a guy that can come in and 
be a little bit more level-headed with the team and teach that defensive structure that Brennan's been preaching that this team desperately needs for weeks and weeks now. Well, defensive structure with the big club has been really bad. I mean, they just allow goals and goals. And we talked a bit about Spencer Martin. And I thought Colin Delia played well in his last start as well. Both goalies... I found they get hot with the game, and then just as the game goes on, they get worn down. The shots just keep coming, the shots, the shots, the chances. There's just been so many defensive plays. And, hey, you know I've defended Tyler Myers in the past. He was awful last game. He was he was really bad. Um, but it wasn't just him. Like There is, you know, Ethan Bear and Quinn Hughes. I thought that pairing hasn't been great, unfortunately. Uh it, the You know, we knew the blue line going into the season was going to be a major point of concern and from what we've seen so far, it, it obviously still is. I mean, what do we do here? What? How do we shake up this blue line? There's no prospects coming up besides Rathbone who are really going to be possibly ready. And he's not the defensive stay-at-home type. Travis Dermott is back in. He's a bit rusty, so but that helps. Our, our starting six blue line at least looks respectable. But, man, I mean, this is, this is something I hope... With uh, Bo Horvat, I, I think you got to trade Horvat because I think he's going to command a lot of money. And I think the time to do it, I know there's various people saying you do it now, you do it now. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be after the All-Star game because I think he's going to the All-Star game. I think that's going to drive his value up. But one of the things the Canucks need to get back in this deal is a right shot defenseman of some kind, whether it's a guy in the range that they state between 21 and 25 or a top prospect. They need to get some right side defense back in this deal along with any other assets. And then you got to look and be like, well, what else are you doing here? If uh, Are you going to sell off on Luke Shen? Are you going to sell off Andre Kuzmenko? Like, uh, are, are you going to be able to find takers for guys like Tanner Pearson or Connor Garland or Brock Besser? Um, but I think it's becoming more and more apparent right now. And I hope the people upstairs uh, in Rogers see this too. This isn't working. And the fans, I mean, the fans are, are are beyond frustrated right now. It's been so long. This fan base deserves better, and they deserve a plan because it's there. it just doesn't feel like what we're being told is actually coming into fruition. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this management group is trying to be patient and try to make sure that, you know, any big deals they make are absolute home runs, but... I think at times you can hold out too long and then that value depreciates. We saw this last offseason with Miller where I think they held out. You know, there was that offer that was circulating that the Rangers had made and they wanted Braden Schneider in the deal instead of Nils Lundqvist and they ended up turning it down because the Rangers weren't willing to part with Braden Schneider. And then the offseason came and I think this Canuck management group thought that there would still be a bit of a market for Miller and that market started to close up as teams started to spend to the cap. And I think that's the other issue. We're not seeing any trades at all right now in the NHL. Um, it was very interesting. I was actually listening to that hit uh, Elliot, Frid Elliot Friedman did with Donnie and Dolly today. And a, a, a pretty big name that was put on waivers today, I believe, was uh, Jacob Verana. And Elliot that was Friedman. Yesterday. Yesterday. And you know what Elliot Friedman said on Donnie and Dolly today? He said there's only six teams in the entire NHL that have the cap space to put a claim in for him right now. That's how tight it is in the entire NHL. And that's how many teams are up against the cap. And that's why it's so hard to make a trade right now. And I know I'm impatient. You know, I'm definitely an impatient person, you know, as a Canuck fan and in my real personal life. 
but I understand why this management group hasn't been able to to make a trade as of yet, a significant trade to the core, because there's not many teams that have the flexibility to be able to do it right now. And the teams that do have that flexibility, they're not looking to trade for a, a Bo Horvat. They're looking to get younger and they want more draft picks and more prospects. And, you know, that's kind of what the Canucks are wanting in return in a Bo Horvat trade. So it doesn't make sense for one of these teams that are in the middle of a rebuild to give up more younger assets for a, an older player it just they're not there yet at least in my opinion uh the flat cap era sucks man like there's just there's trades uh, I, I remember like growing up just trades all the time and you never talked about salaries or anything i mean jacob ran a five and a quarter million yeah like that's a tough one i knew he wasn't going to get picked up i was still surprised to see him on waivers but it, it's it's it sucks that teams that will actually want to improve can't because they they don't have the cap space everyone's everyone's maxed out the top end players are getting too much it's squeezing out the middle players Jacob Verana is is another example of it and in my opinion it's terrible for hockey I I just I don't know how long this is going to go on for but I, I think it needs to change yeah I mean I saw in baseball today it was like a or it was yesterday it was I believe it was like a relief pitcher signed a one year deal seventeen and a half million dollars for a one year deal like there's nobody in the NHL who makes that much money like Connor McDavid's not making seventeen and a half million dollars for one year in his contract it just and I get it like you know Bettman wanted the hard cap in there because you had teams like the Rangers that even though they weren't winning cups, they were trying to buy every player. Colorado was spending to the cap, you know, or beyond what everybody else was for all those years. Detroit, Anaheim, when they, you know, had Korea, Pronger, Niedermeyer, um, all that stuff. But yeah, this hard cap, it's really, it's really changed that, that dynamic of being able to make moves and being able to, quote unquote, rebuild on the fly. And especially a lot of these players, I think there's a number of players across the league that could really use a change of scenery. And unfortunately, because so many teams are cap strapped and because of the amount of money they're making, they're just kind of stuck with that same team. They're stuck in limbo. I mean, Jacob Verona is a good player. Has he been underperforming this year? Absolutely. But, you know, the, he, there, nobody has the flexibility to take on that money. And I'm sure there's a couple of teams that would like him, but they just don't have the, the cap space to take him on. And now he's going to the AHL. It's, uh, it, it, yeah. Again, I get why we have a hard cap, but this flat cap, especially because of COVID, it's really, really taken some of the fun out of the trade deadline and, you know, big name players getting traded. It just, yeah, I, I, I miss, I miss the, those big trades. I think every hockey fan does, and that's why I think as well with Bo, I think once you get into February, again, the closer you get to the deadline, the less games remaining, the easier it is to make the moves and, you know, play with LTIR and guys on IR and, the, you know, paper guys to the minors and do what you got to do. There's there's more room there, and that's why I think this stretch of games leading up to the All-Star game drive his value up, but you got to trade him uh, as, as soon as you can after that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, for me right now, I again, he's having a phenomenal year. But it, you know, it, this team is just, it's not, for whatever reason, it's not working. I don't know if you caught, did you catch Bruce Boudreaux's post-game comments last night? Uh, it was very interesting, uh, Yeah, actually. some of them. Yeah, and it was, you know what, it was weird because, like, he was a lot more critical than he has been. 
Um, and, you know, one of the things he brought up, he's like, he was talking about block shots. He's like, we bring up block shots every day. Every day we talk about block shots, getting in front of the puck. And last night, and again, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. So the Tuesday night game uh, against the New York Islanders, the Canucks had three block shots all game. And the New York Islanders, I believe, had 18. And, you know, it's just about willing to get in front of the puck and sacrifice the body and, you know, help your goaltender out. I mean, Pete, you said it earlier about, you know, Spencer Martin and Colin Delia have been doing very admirable jobs to try and keep this team in games. But when, you know, it's shot after shot and odd man rush after odd man rush, you know, you can only do so much. And right now, it just doesn't seem like this team is wanting to go to that extreme to try to win games. They're they're playing very fringe level hockey at the moment. They're not sacrificing their bodies. They're not, you know, diving in front of pucks, you know, to try to block shots. And it's showing. And Boudreaux, for the one of the first times this year, I thought he was very, very frustrated with the effort that the Canucks had against the Islanders. And he he voiced it for the first time. Well, good. Uh, it's. I think everyone's frustrated. They should be frustrated. Uh, they win three in a row. They lose three in a row. It's just like this fan base is on a roller coaster. But we're, like I said, we're approaching the halfway mark here, and it's it doesn't look good for Vancouver. I mean, they they'd have to go on some Herculean run to get in, and I just, I mean, I don't see that happening a- at all. Uh, it's for me, there's just so many, I mean, there's just so many things. There's just, it feels like there's a lack of effort and that's something that is really hard for fans to swallow is when you just see this real lack of effort at times out there. You know, everyone goes after JT Miller and his back checking and it's been bad. But the fact that JT Miller, the guy who's been our leading scorer over the last three years has become a huge scapegoat in this city, probably even right now more than guys like Tyler Myers and OEL. I think that tells you something about where this fan base is at. Like, look, uh, JT Miller, it's hard to defend some of his, his, his actions on the ice. Um, I, I personally didn't get perturbed by the whole banging the stick on the crossbar thing that honestly, whatever, but he does need to back it up with if you're doing that and and you're you're drawing attention to yourself you need to be really given 100% every shift and and he's not and the way this fan base has turned on him and he still hasn't even started this 7 year deal i mean that tells you something right there i mean there's just a lot of things that canucks fans are looking at down the gun whether you know we talked about Lacari Mackey earlier um but cap wise i mean the fact that Miller has seven more years after this. Do you think they could actually trade Miller in this cap environment? He's got a no trade that kicks in on his on his new deal for I think it's the first four years. I mean, you could maybe try and trade him before that, but if that's what we're in for for seven more years of fans turning on Miller, like man, I, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to take that because I'm all for it when he's he deserves it and he certainly deserves some of it right now and he's had a, a really terrible month. I thought I just he, I don't know what's going on. I know he's been moved back up to Petey's wing. Uh, if that doesn't get him going, I don't know what will. But but do you, there's just do so you many think things right now. Do I think it's management? Well, no. Do I? Do you think this management group would be willing to trade him after re-signing him to that big contract? Like, do you not think it would kind of have put egg on their face? I again, you know what? I look. I think you do whatever you think you need to do to 
make your team better. And if there is an issue in the dressing room, which is widely speculated, I'm not saying it's true or not, but there's a lot of speculation that, you know, I, I believe, who was it? I I think it was Frank Saravelli had a quote that came out that JT Miller is, you know, starting to get the reputation in that dressing room as, of being a bit of a prick. Um, do you think this management group, you know, as one of their first big moves, re-signing Miller, would be willing, you know, what, five months later, be willing to trade him? I mean, I it would probably be the right move if they can get a taker, but do you think they'd be willing to do that? I don't know. It's, I don't, th- I don't think they would. Uh, I've said this since the get-go. I think we're stuck with Miller for at least another four years after this because that's when he then goes into a modified no trade. Um, but I also do think if you realize you've made a mistake and you've got a small window to fix it, you try and fix it. And maybe there's a taker out there. Maybe you can do something where, you know, you take some bad short-term contracts back from a contending team or something. I, I don't know. Um, but it's it's just, man, the whole Miller thing is uh, the way that he has been turned on. And it's because everything is under the magnifying glass. I guarantee you if the team was winning and he did that with the banging on the crossbar and Miller was producing, people wouldn't care. But because everything is under a microscope right now, it, it's... It's caused us to. He's now we got him. We got OEL for five more years or whatever as well. Like it, there's, they've got to make some moves to to figure some things out here with what they're doing. Yeah, there's four more years after the, uh, this of OEL, which is the same amount that you got Quinn Hughes for. So there's a there's a, a good and a bad in there. But in this cap era, I mean, even if like if you're trading out, that's another thing with Bo. You don't have the eight million bucks or whatever right now to to attribute to him. And this for, uh, the forwards. It, the, everything needs a shakeup. It's you can't go out and spend another eight million dollars on Bo. He could probably knows he could probably get more on the open market. You got to find a taker for him. It sucks, but you you can't overpay for another guy having a career year. Yeah, look, I do think there's going to be a couple of teams, and maybe I'm just being a rose-colored glasses Canuck fan here, but I do think there's going to be a couple of teams that are going to make a big push as even a rental for Horvat because, you know, I, I look at the Leafs, for example, for sure. the Leafs are a team that, you know, their, their window to win with this current core that they have is probably the next two years. You know what I mean? In all honesty, um, the Avs have not replaced Nazem Kadri. I know they've got a lot of injuries at the moment, but I'm sure that, you know, they're looking to repeat. Um, I do think there's a couple of teams that are going to feel the pressure and maybe pay up you know, uh, a, a steep price. I, I, another team that I think could theoretically do that is Carolina. I think they're a team that often are on a lot of people's radars as a team that could potentially win the Stanley Cup. But for whatever reason, every year, they just kind of don't get over the hump when it comes to the playoffs. Uh, the Bruins are another team. So even if a team isn't able to sign Horvat to a long-term extension, I do think there's a couple of teams out there that could maybe pay a premium to try to get them over the hump to win a Stanley Cup. Whatever happens, like I said, I I agree with you, Pete. There needs to be significant change right now in this dressing room. This team just seems too complacent. Uh, I also understand where the players are probably frustrated. You know, they're they're playing for seemingly a dud coach. 
you know, and that's got to be hard to play for too. You know, this coach is trying to install, you know, his strategy defensively, offensively. And a lot of these players who know they're going to be here next year are probably like, what's the point? I'm going to have to learn a whole new system again next year. I think everyone's just waiting for the first domino to fall. And uh, I think you're right. I think the players probably feel that too. I think there's probably a lot of tension with the club. Um, two things quickly, Doug, before we get into the free pour. Um, if Bo Horvath gets traded to the Leafs, would you cheer for the Leafs in the playoffs? Uh, no, absolutely you're not. Okay, me neither. I, yeah, I still wouldn't. There's no chance. Uh, there's no chance. I'd just take glee that they spent a lot and lost in the first round. Um, second thing, last thing before we go to the free pour, Winter Classic. Do you care that it, Vancouver's not involved with the Winter Classic in Seattle? No, not really. I mean, look... The Winter Classic has always kind of been uh, a way for American audiences to kind of discover hockey and for the NHL to grow the game in the U.S. It's always been more of an American-driven thing than a Canadian-driven thing. I also think the fact that you have the two latest expansion teams in the NHL, Vegas, Seattle, it makes sense that they're going to have this Winter Classic. I'm sure down the track there will be a Winter Classic between Vancouver and Seattle, but I know a lot of people, the Winter Classic that was held in Vancouver, it was seemed and, you know, mostly thought of to be one of the worst Winter Classics uh, that's ever ha- been played. Um, it just, it was in a bad stadium, BC Place. It's not a great stadium to, to host a Winter Classic. Obviously, it rains way too much in Vancouver. It doesn't get cold enough. And it just wasn't a great game overall. Um, so I'm not as upset about it as I know some people were. Again, when you think about Vegas being a new expansion team and Seattle being a new expansion team, it kind of makes sense. I think Vancouver's was the Heritage Classic, which is like the Canadian version. I think that we got the Battle of Alberta, but same thing. It's an outdoor game. Look, I've never been big on outdoor games. I like the one at Lake Tahoe when there was no fans because then you can really do it right. But I know a big part of it, like if they did two, if they did the one in the stadiums, because I know it's pretty cool. Like I watched bits of it, but like the the Boston Pittsburgh one, but the quality of hockey is not great. The sight lines aren't great. The camera lines aren't great. Um, For me, I never really get that into it. But if you did one of those and then you did like a remote series one, like do a, a night game up in in Yellowknife or something where they're playing under the Northern Lights, like stuff like that promotionally would be incredible. I know you lose ticket revenue, but if you find other ways to, to do that and grow the game, uh, that I'd be more interested in because I thought the Lake Tahoe one looked really good when there's like trees in the lake and I thought that one was good. But it also doesn't really make sense to force the issue and do it in places where it rains a lot like Seattle or it's sunny a lot like down in Dodger Stadium you know I think it's uh, you keep it with colder places keep it with more traditional rivalries Um, and if you're going to do it for the American audience yeah you use American teams um, but I would like to see the future of the way it grows sure keep one in a stadium do it in the states maybe do the heritage one in Canada and you know Toronto and Montreal and Ottawa uh, and Montreal and Calgary and Edmonton can all battle each other a billion times for it. Um, It's tough to get Vancouver involved because we don't really have that same winter aspect, in my opinion. But I would love, yeah, love. And and you want to grow the game? Yeah, you take it and like do it in northern Sweden or something or Iceland or, you know, do some really random cold spots with spectacular scenery and maybe only a handful of fans just kind of standing around the rink. I think that would be really cool and you know you could do it as ticket giveaways and just treat it as a a huge promo event so for me 
I'm not too bothered by it because if it was Vancouver, I still probably wouldn't go down for it because I'm not the biggest on the outdoor games. Um, but uh, yeah, that's my my kind of rant on it. Um, Doug, let's take it to the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I want to talk about something that I've been waiting for for a very long time. Pete, I know you've been waiting for it for a very long time. And it's kind of funny because you're wearing your Diwali Canuck shirt at the moment. And one of this group's most famous albums actually has got a very similar vibe and style as that shirt. And that's De La Soul. And De La Soul's entire Tommy Boy catalog is finally being released to streaming on March 3rd of this year. Um, They're one of the most influential and important hip-hop acts of the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, They and their old label, Tommy Boy, have had some issues for a few years, and that's one of the reasons why their catalog hasn't been on streaming. And I know a lot of people don't love streaming. A lot of these artists and a lot of these musicians don't get a lot of money when their music goes to streaming. But I will say this, a lot of these young kids who don't know who De La Soul is and how important their music is, it's a great way for them to discover who De La Soul is and to discover their music and how impactful and important their music has been. But you know, we're talking albums like Three Feet High and Rising, De La Soul is Dead, Stakes is High, Balloon Mind State, like the pinnacle run of those early De La Soul albums are finally going to be going to streaming as of March 3rd. I am extremely excited for that. I'm very happy for those guys to hopefully get a little bit of bread by some of the streaming uh, plays that they'll be getting. And I'm sure a couple of those songs will definitely be getting used on some future outro tracks from us. Oh, that's great news. I always assumed it was just because of all the samples that couldn't get cleared uh, that, that a lot of those albums aren't. Have you ever heard the Anonymous Nobody album by De La Soul? Uh, I haven't, but I know a lot of people talk about it as a really, really under-the-radar good album. It's excellent. It came out uh, about six years ago. I, I recommend it. Uh, for me, I just want to talk about uh, a documentary I watched on YouTube that was sent to me by... A uh, good friend of mine, um, I, as you, some of you may know, I do on the side, I do street art and mural tours. There is a new Banksy documentary that came out called The Banksy Interviews, Creating a Street Art Revolution. And while Banksy is the main figure in this, it's as much a story about the birth of graffiti and the birth of street art, and uh, and it kind of leads all into the Banksy story, uh, as well as, as it, and of course, kind of takes stabs at who Banksy is and there's always you know there's lots of fun theories of who he is from 3D and Massive Attack to uh, uh, what's his name in the gorillas it's uh, there's lots of lots of different theories and stuff out there but it's a great documentary just to kind of if you're just curious about learning what all the fuss is about and how that he became so huge and what the history of graffiti and street art is check it out it's on a channel called Perspective the Banksy interviews creating a street art revolution
Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 132, season four, episode 13, just about in the books. Um, and uh, thanks again to Brendan, Jabo underscore Vancouver, for contributing to this episode as always. Um, Doug, little NBA hoops talk. Why don't you take it away? Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty crazy year as far as players scoring incredible point totals, especially this past like couple weeks. Uh, Donovan Mitchell went for 71 points the other night. Uh, that same night, uh, Clay Thompson went for 52. Uh, I believe there's been, what, 12 or 13 players this season that have eclipsed over 50 points in a game. Um, yeah, it's just been a really high point total for individual players this year, and it's still really, really in the basketball season, but uh, it's made for some really great early season storylines and some entertaining basketball. 14 times uh, this season a player has had 50 or more points. Last night, Janice did it as well for, for the Bucks. The, the Greek Freak put up 55. So, uh, And then you also had, just after Christmas, Luka Doncic had that incredible game where he scored 60. I actually caught a little bit of that one. But it does seem, as the calendar year goes on, like uh, there's been more and more. It's just there's a, It started in about mid-November, and, and it's just kind of taken off. There's just been all these games. And it's the NBA superstars really leading the charge. I don't know if that can be attributed to teams running with shorter benches. Or, or I feel like that's probably got a part of it. But it, it's pretty incredible to see all these 50-point games. Because, you know, it used to be before, like, if you hit 40, that was a stellar game. But now you're seeing, you know, you start to think, well, maybe can someone can get close to tickling that Kobe number that he put up against the Raptors. Yeah, I mean, 71 from Donovan Mitchell the other day is... I believe as close as we've seen to Co- was it Kobe's 81 I believe he's had against the Raptors 81 correct? yeah yeah so yeah. that's as, you know that's the closest we've probably seen since Kobe hit that 81 um but yeah I mean again it's you know it, it's been very entertaining and you know we're only not even what just over a quarter of the way through the NBA season uh and I'm sure we're gonna see some more point totals you brought up Luka Doncic who's been absolutely incredible this year three he's times one of the, three times He's done it three times over like an eight day period or something. It is crazy. Yeah, and you know, he's probably the leading candidate to win MVP this year. Um, but yeah, man, the NBA's been very entertaining this year. Obviously, it's still early in the season. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, Devin Booker's done it a couple times. Joel Embiid has done it a couple times as well. Uh, it's it is pretty interesting. It's it's uh there's definitely this new breed of superstars. But I do I think I attribute it more to uh, as well teams running shorter benches as much as they can. But as definitely being a, a part of it. Um, tough episode, Doug. We got through it. Uh, it's tough times in Vancouver land right now. Uh, but folks, thanks again for listening. And of course, you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. And do check out our ever-growing playlist on Spotify, the Canucks Speakeasy Outro Playlist. Give that a follow. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to check out the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always... Thanks for listening. Hasta luego.